0: Albums for the above colours, albums for the above colours. One, two, buckle my shield. Good morning, afternoon, evening, night, wherever it is that you are listening to this. Welcome to episode five of Albums for the Apocalypse podcast. The podcast where we try and select a group of albums to take into a bunker for the post-apocalyptic world. I'm joined once again by my co-host Amos. Hello. And this week we are in the absolute pleasure of having a special guest. uh, Coming from High Wycombe's post-hardcore band As Everything Unfolds, we've got Owen Hill.
1: Hello. 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 A podcast, Owen. Thank you. I've been so stoked to do a podcast for like ages. And then this one came up and I was like, yeah, sick. Ace. I guess being be in an emo. Before,
2: before we even started recording it, he was like, I want to be on it straight away.
1: <laughs> Literally, like, I think you put out this thing like, oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. And within five minutes of you putting it up, I send you this message like, please let me come on. <laughs> he just wants to survive the apocalypse. That's completely fair. I hadn't even thought about that. I just want to talk about My Chemical Romance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I guess um, let's talk a little bit about As Everything Unfolds. Yeah, sure. How would you describe it to some of the listeners that probably haven't listened or maybe haven't heard of?
1: Um, I really hate being asked this because I never really know the answer. Like um, the, the easiest way to describe it is like if you find a couple of bands that are similar and then just sort of like... So we'll go like Bring Me The Horizon, um, like Dream State, that kind of thing. Um, and just sort of merge them all in one bit. Mm. So it is, it's is—it's essentially like, it's its just post-hardcore with female vocals and synths.
0: Yeah.
1: To, to be really like blunt about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, so I actually was listening this morning because I realised I haven't listened to them that much of your stuff. <laughs> um, but Divide and 1710,
1: how oh, that song is so big! That like, song's like my absolute but... child. I um, <clears throat> I ended up writing that riff because I was trying to do something like um, I think I was trying to do something along the lines of "You Are We" by While She Sleeps. Like that lead as it comes in is like so good, and that song like I took it to. Adam our other guitarist and was just like I've come up with this riff I think I know what I want it to do which is really different because normally I write like a tiny section of a song and then I sort of go I have no idea what I'm gonna do with this now like where does this fit Mm. and then I try and do a couple of things get frustrated and stop doing it so like it all came together really nicely and we actually wrote the whole song in like maybe 25 minutes and all we did from that is we just changed that sort of breakdown at the end but mm, like it used to just yeah it used to just stop really abruptly and we were like nah it needs something there so we just put that on it just to see what it was like yeah. and we are like yeah no well Even I doubt I stick
0: like a breakdown in it and it's, it's sorted it's got like quite a lot of plays it's got 500,000 plays
1: uh, is- no that one's divided um, oh, yeah. 1710s I say only like two hundred and sixty. I can double yeah, check.
0: I'm mad. So are they on, are they on any Spotify playlists or anything? How did they get such a like? Um, big. Like,
1: like it's sorry. I'm just searching how many it's got because you've got <laughs> me interested now. Um, Divided ended up on a few editorial playlists, which was really good. Like the weirdly, one of them popped up in Sao Paulo. <laughs> We got on this playlist a Spotify one called Volume Maximo, which is essentially like rock and metal playlist from Brazil, and for some reason, it really hit it off in Sao Paulo, which is yeah, like the strangest plan, thing. Yeah, like, come to Brazil, like we're finally going to do it. Um, yeah, 1710 never really got any playlisting. Um we released it on a there's a youtube channel called dreambound which you know if you're into your heavier music it's really worth having a look at cuz pretty much every day it's kind of slowed down a little bit recently i think but they um just host music videos for people mm. and we got that one i think we got we're sitting on give or take somewhere like 90,000 views on 1710 on there yeah which is you know that's really cool um you know that was the first song of the new album we released as well. So what was it, album EP, we released an EP before it, and it sort of it did you know, it did fine. But when you, there's a limit to how well, an EP is going to do when you don't, really have the ability to tour it or do any press on it or get it on playlists. So when we released Seventeen Ten, it kind of just went like like a rocket, and we were like, oh okay, this is um, this is a bit scary. <laughs> <clears throat> It just it just kept going and it sort of slowly tails off because that's just what music really does. Like, Mm. but yeah, it's gone really nice. It's been great.
0: So, what's it like? I guess we talked about this briefly the other day when we were prepping for this. But do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's like for the band during lockdown?
1: (laughs) Um, It's it's like it's really difficult to get stuff done because like you know when we're trying to discuss something and get something worked out and organized like we always meet like tuesday night is band night tuesdays for the boys um and that's where we all talk about it but now we have to like organize a time that we're all free to do a call and then we spend like an hour and a half on this call organizing something that would take like 20 minutes on a normal night but (laughs) it's not it's not that bad like um you know it's annoying it's a bit frustrating because like Obviously like they are five of my best mates and I haven't been able to see any of them. Um and so much of the fun is just playing music with people and when you can't do that it's like it's kind of like taking all the fun out and just doing the admin, but at the same time the admin can be fun if you do it right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it must be pretty weird, especially like losing gigs as well when you've kind of got a lot of momentum going
1: yeah I mean we had this um tour booked for April yeah April um and that was like uh London Birmingham Manchester was in there I think Peterborough and where was the last Bristol there go um but obviously that was that was right in the middle of lockdown so that got it's been postponed till September as far as I'm aware it's still going going ahead um we're planning for it to still go ahead and then if something else changes, then something else changes, you know, at, at the end of the day, if it does get rescheduled, it's for people's safety, which, you know, it's not ideal because hell I want to play some shows and people want to go to shows, but, uh, you know, is to go and watch a band play for like an hour. It's not worth like endangering yourself and other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just not viable right now.
1: No. Yeah, you know, in September it might be viable, and we're we're hoping that it will be. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, was,
2: I, was I was literally just going to say like, do you reckon the like half capacity social distance um, thing might affect your income and stuff with touring potentially? Like, if, if they say it's half capacity in September, would you still consider doing it? Like,
1: probably. Um, I think if they said it's half capacity in September, it might like it, half of it will be our decision, and I think half of it will be the decision of like the venue, because at the end of the day, you know, if you're playing, we've got like the O2 in Islington yeah. is one, as one of the dates. And if it's a case of we can only play to half the people or maybe like, cause there was talk about it being a third of people, um, you know, it's very quickly going to become unviable if something like that happens, because then, you know, you're still going to have to pay for all the bar staff, all the security the lighting engineers the sound engineers the people who just run around and oversee everything um you know and when you've got to pay for all of those things and then they say oh by the way only half of your income is going to come in like at a push because it's just that you know it's just that thing um you can't really guarantee that everyone that's going to turn up is going to buy two people's worth of merchandise. They're going to buy two people's worth of drinks, you know? Yeah, the um, economics is tough. Yeah, it's, it's not really, you know, summer that's going to be able to be called until we really know what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So I guess we should probably start talking about what's going on in this week's episode. So a bit of background. Um, Amos and I actually you know Owen because went to school together oh, so yeah. we decided that for this week we would do the theme of albums from our teenage years so we've got quite a quite a good selection mostly based around kind of late late noughties albums which I guess sums up when we were probably just starting secondary school um, I went for the prodigies album invaders must die their fifth album amos what did you go for i went for the white stripes icky thump
2: their final album
0: and owen
1: uh, i went for my chemical romances third of four albums black parade an absolute behemoth of an album oh yeah Behamoth?
0: Behamoth? i never know
1: That's i don't know
0: a big album that sums it's it up yeah the big boy um, one yeah, so we'll be talking about those. We'll probably tell a few anecdotes from our time at school and stuff. And it could be quite a fun episode, this one, I think. Yeah, it's going to be great. So let's move on to episode one. Episode one, album one. <laughs> so album number one that we're going to be discussing is my selection, which was uh, Invaders Must Die from The Prodigy. So, this album came out in 2009. So, us three would have been in year eight or nine. nine. Um, The memory that this album, I guess, has for me is literally just sat on my ass playing Xbox (laughs) with it on. I had this album (laughs) installed on my Xbox so I could have it playing while I played Halo. And I would just sit there and drink Red Bulls and eat. Just awful, awful food. Lots of Tang plastics. Um, but yeah, so re-listening to this did make me crave a bag of Tang plastics quite a lot. Um, but honestly, this album has not aged badly at all. I loved re-listening to this again. What did you boys think? I think that comment
2: about it aging is quite a good one because the one thing I will say about Fashion of the Land, which is the other Prodigy album, is that it's mm. aged a tad and it's definitely dying for a remaster. Whereas this hasn't isn't at all. It's still sounds fresh as ever i think so. yeah
1: yeah that was one of the things that i like i noticed it as well because the prodigy for me came around when i would um i everyone got obsessed with pendulum and so did i and then invaders must die came out around the same kind of time that like, i was all for like electronic and dance music and when i re-listened to this i went back and re-listened to pendulum as well and like pendulum seems to me just so dated i mean it's still it's still good but like i sort of listened to a few songs and went oh god how did i listen to this day in day out it
0: does stink pendulum stinks a lot of the um dubstep era doesn't it just you can just hear it in a lot of the pendulum songs whereas this doesn't have that i don't think
1: yeah i think maybe like um you know compared to back then my like understanding of music and like the structure of everything now is a bit more bit more refined so when i listen to pendulum i kind of just feel like i'm listening to the same thing over and over so yeah. i can only really listen to like there's a few that i really really like but i can't listen to like the ones that i didn't really listen to a lot when i was younger
2: i definitely think yeah. once you've listened to the prodigy you can't really listen to the pendulum in the same mindset that there, there is a difference
0: I yeah i mean so i guess for the prodigy it's important to talk about i think you mentioned it earlier the fat of the land but this is like these this band basically released two almost not generational albums, I'm not saying this album is necessarily generational, but it's still two huge albums. To put it in perspective, I did a bit of research. So obviously, um, when I was born, 4th of April 1996, Firestar was number one. 13 years later, 4th of April 2009, Omen was number 21 in the charts, and the album Invaders Must Die was number seven in the charts. It's pretty crazy to think, but over that period of time, they were still, I mean, and they were releasing big albums obviously at the start of the 90s as well. So they just consistently put out not a lot, but when they did release, it was always just ridiculously good music. Um, I think for our age as well, this was definitely massive for uh, kind of an introduction to electro and like heavier kind of dance music almost, like mainly electro and techno music. Um, I don't think I would ever listened to anything other than, like you say, kind of pendulum, and those stupid um, dubstep, bubble bass songs that were like <laughs> Call of Duty montages. Or, yeah, and
1: you used to oh, stick them on
0: mate. on the YouTube. they were only on YouTube. Is there any way you could what, like listen to them?
1: Yeah, everyone had those really terrible rips of YouTube as well because yeah, God. like back before audio quality existed. Mm, little HTC's and Samsungs. One but thing yeah. um Go ahead. one thing sorry, one thing that really struck me about this album, like Invaders Must Die, when you're comparing it to like the Prodigy's earlier stuff, is that the earlier stuff was I think it was so much heavier on like using samples and making almost like a collage out of other people's music. Whereas this one really I think was all original. Like if there were samples in there, there there weren't really samples that I knew of, mm-hmm. so you know, going back, you know, um uh, voodoo people. That guitar, riff at the start is that's um I can't remember what song it is, but that's from an Nirvana hour song, one of their later ones.
2: Yeah, they they they've, um, the only big sample on this is the on the last song, Stand Up, when they do yeah. Manfred Mann. But that sample itself is used in everything. You, but, off, that, yeah, yeah, you've heard you've heard that plenty of times before in anything. So.
0: Yeah, a lot of you may listen to that and recognize it straight away, but that's because it's in so many different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a really good quote from, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was um, Liam who said, um, all fucking bands say that their new records, the best, but this just feels like it's really triumphant for us. It's on fire. It's all about the three of us together and what we can do. You know what we deal with. It beats, it's, Beats in a predominantly electronic style, and it's full of fucked up guitars. And I think that pretty much sums up quite well. I think that's yeah,
1: that, that hits the nail right on the head.
0: I mean, this one took what they. I was when I was reading up on it, they
2: said it. Um, they delayed it by two years because they had new ideas for it. and You can definitely kind of see that. And I think um, while this has all three contributing, so it has Maxime and Flint, um, obviously the two vocalists, front frontmen, uh, contributing. Liam Howlett's still the driving force behind that band creatively. Like yeah. anything they release is all 90% yeah. Liam Howlett. Um, maybe a couple of other influences, but it's Liam Howlett's
0: the genius in that band. And yeah. then you've got obviously it's the live, really... live shows come from Maxime and Flynn predominantly. This had their first song that they'd all written, actually all written together, Colours, which I don't like that much. Of the song but it has got a really good breakdown. Um, but yeah, but, I mean, this album, if you want to talk about tracks specifically five of the first six tracks are huge hitters i think it's um obviously the title track invaders must die then omen then thunder then take me to the hospital and warriors dance are all in the first five
2: you've got uh, run with the wolves in there as well i think that's on the sixth song
0: yeah that i think six or no i think that's seven, seven or eight maybe. but yeah.
1: yeah that is really like a masterclass in how you start an album though because invaders must die was the most perfect choice to start that album just the way it builds up and the way it all kicks in and that's sort of like that vocal clip of we are the prodigy yeah it's like it gives you that nice lead in that sort of like <laughs> the nice here you go here's the handshakes Um nice to meet you how are you You doing well and then it just says we are the prodigy and just like proceeds it's to dope. beat the shit out of you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which really is like the best way they could have started that album because it just doesn't mess about.
2: Not at all. And they're sloganeering on it. They used it a lot of Fat of the Land as well, but in the sense where they only don't actually do much in terms of the verse chorus. It's more or less just a couple of lines repeated and carefully placed to keep, like you said, with We Are the Prodigy and how it introduces the album and stuff like that. It's very clever in how it kind of keeps it going, but doesn't sort of necessarily detract from the electronic elements.
1: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things like especially with instrumental music that you need to be really careful with is um, you can very quickly use all your aces and you can use them all the time. And it, I think that was the issue that um, I kind of, not the issue that I have with Pendulum nowadays is that um, Pendulum stuff is really formulaic. It's, you know, there's an intro and it builds up and then there's the kick drum getting faster and faster and then it drops into it. And you're like, cool. And then after like four, eight, sixteen bars, it'll bring in this lead and then it will drop it out. And then it'll bring the lead in, and then there'll be another build up and it'll drop again. And that's like the whole song in one go. Yes. And but with this album particularly, like they really didn't use all their all their stuff in one go. Like even, you know, little things that you don't realise, like changing the sound of the snare drum throughout the whole song yeah and just, you know changing up the tempo it really does change the feel of how it sounds and i think that's that's why this album's aged so well because it hasn't become like samey and repetitive and like every song really is sort of like a new thing
2: yeah it hasn't become yeah. like the, the tropes and stereotypes of a scene like you said it's because it is quite unique and how it's and it's different in parts it's not just the, set, like you said, the same sort of thing so it's definitely kind of helps with stuff like that
0: yeah, I think the other thing as well is like, like I re- listened listed them off, off earlier, but I forgot just how many, how many massive tracks there are on here. Like, you, when you listen to like most albums, you think back and there's probably two or three that stand out. When I re-listened to this, so many, I just, I couldn't believe how many massive songs there were. Um, I mean, even like the singles were omen warriors stance invaders must die and take me to the hospital but that leaves aside thunder which is huge um run with the wolves obviously and loads of these songs actually featured in i don't know if i've have I ever seen kick ass
1: yeah, yeah a long time ago yeah
0: amazing film well they're, they're, yeah, loads there's huge, of... huge pop culture in this in, from this record in terms yeah. of video games so,
2: films everything yeah. tv shows adverts you name it all been used in so, like, if you haven't listened to the Prodigy, you've, prob- you've definitely heard at least a couple of these songs. Yeah, I up, think right? if,
0: you listen to, yeah, if you listen to this album, you will definitely recognise at least two or three songs just from kind of pop culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was very happy to obviously re listen to this. I picked it. I hope you guys also enjoyed.
2: Yeah, I kind of um, want to mention the live show on Prodigy. I know it's not lesser related to the album, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know Jack hasn't owned. Have you ever seen the Prodigy live?
1: Um, no I've seen like videos of them um, old and new um,
2: I'd, I would go on a limb to say they're one of the best live bands ever um, and every both times I've seen them they've been brilliant and I've never heard anyone say they've had a bad show seeing them but it's the energy so the energy you feel on the album is exactly that live and it's, it is just something that s- stands the prodigy diff- like the fact that they could release an album every five years but still be relevant is purely because of those live shows um, and I think we kind of Touch on it a bit about their crossover. I think they're one of the only bands ever that could headline any festival in the world. Like just any festival, they could headline Tomorrowland, they could headline Download, Coachella, Glastonbury, Reading. You name a festival, they could probably headline it, and no one would blink an eyelid.
0: Yeah,
2: ubiquitous. It's um, yeah. I I just I think that alone, the Prodigy live show is what was I should say, uh, truly one of the sort of bucket list items in sort of music. Um, and unfortunately probably never going to see it again which is a shame
1: yeah I'm a bit glad I never got to see them. um <clears throat> it's an interesting point about the um the crossover between the festivals because I think one of the things that really really grabbed me about the prodigy when I first sort of heard about them um because I think this album was probably one of the first things I'd heard from the prodigy and then I listened to the older stuff did a bit of research on it but like the way that they crossed over between scenes and subcultures, um, ages and like, and even sort of like uh, races and like cultural groups in that respect in um, when they were first beginning was amazing. You know, there wasn't, there, there was obviously like ska and two tone and reggae and that kind of thing. And that brought a lot of young people together, but a bit further down the line, it all sort of became like dub and drum and bass. And then that was sort of really separate to punk and all the people that liked all the rock stuff. And then the prodigy came along and they sort of just merged it and they created this entirely new sort of culture of youths, um, which you don't really see happen unless there is a band that is really, really special. Do yeah. something like that. Yeah, I, I, like, I don't, you know, it's,
2: yeah. It's just, it's just something about the prodigy that you, it's quite hard for people to. I don't know the dislikes word, but it's one of these things that everyone at some points had a, more or less had a, some sort of meeting yeah. with the prodigy. In, in terms there of, are
0: people basically. that wouldn't even say they like techno, but will like the prodigy. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, the prodigy are huge in terms of crafting my taste in electronic music. Like, I love techno and I really like slightly more off the wall electronic stuff. And I don't think I'd like that without the prodigy.
1: Mm. No, I think this was. Um... The same with My Chemical Romance, it was, for me, it was one of those albums that came along at exactly the right time, and I think I, it could just be a case of I was in the mood to listen to something like it when it came out, and like when I first got my ears around it, but, you know, I think having hearing it, having heard it when I was so young, really like, sort of ingrained it in there,
2: because...
1: you know, I, I think maybe if I had lived under a rock until the age of 24 and I listened to it now, maybe I'd be like, I mean, it's it's good, it's a good album, but I'm not like, I w- might not be as so into it as I am.
2: Mm. Yeah, 100%. I think I, I don't know whether you got anything else to add, Jack.
0: No, I think that I think that covers it really.
2: Yeah, I, I think before we move on to the next one, I just want to say when I was doing my research, it, was, it only got a, six, a 60, so a six, a 6 out
0: of 10. Yeah, I knew, yeah. Essentially three stars. I was just like, what? Which is, on that that's note, so ironic. rude. You know how we've talked about today about how it's 8 compared to the stuff from kind of the 90s? One of the biggest criticisms it got was the fact that it didn't have a lot of the sound styling from the 90s and that they'd lost a lot of that and it didn't work. And yet, here you go, we're here, what, 10 years later, talking about how it sounds so much better than that stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, why like, two
0: different generations have different favourite prodigy albums. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. The thing is, like, um, you know, if you're looking at a band from, like, the 1990s, and you think, like, oh, okay, this is really good. And then, you know, the best part of 20 years later, they release an album in 2009. Um it, it's obviously not going to sound the same and yeah exactly yeah you know like if you compare it to someone like let's say Green Day for example compare their early stuff you know you compare their first album which was I think it was um you know like Kaplunk or Smoothed Out Slappy Hours. then move it on to like Dookie and then move it on to American Idiot and that's like you can tell that they adapt with the times and what is popular yeah, and what is current you know same with bring me the horizon every one of their albums is nearly polar opposite to each other and just like you know they've just gone up every time
2: and you can't criticize a band for changing their sound especially when they change it and it sounds as good yeah yeah exactly like you, you can't you can't say bands not using their old stylings and yet what they're pushing out is still really good it's, it's just something you can't I don't think that's a very valid criticism, but it's
0: obviously how the music industry works a lot of the time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Anyway, I think that is that for The Prodigy. Um, I think it is time to move on and discuss album number two. So up next
2: we have my pick, which is The White Stripes with Icky Thumb. Um, It's their final album uh, before they... Officially broke off in 2011, but uh, they kind of went on a hiatus a bit before that. With this being released in 2007, I suppose without unlike the other two albums this week, it's not quite known for being a generational album or a formative album for a lot of people. So I suppose I want to preface all this with why I picked it. Uh, when I started kind of getting into music, it was actually a lot into like blues and stuff like that because my dad, being into blues, would take me to a lot of blues clubs in London to just go and see people muck about with mississippi blues and stuff like that and just play the simple sort of jamming style and i remember obviously you know white stripes from seven nation army etc and i got my ipod nano and i got a big itunes gift card my own itunes account and i spent all of it buying the entire white stripes back catalog at the time and with this being the most recent one uh, to it uh, i figured it'd be quite a good one to pick um compared to i think i'm going to start when i introduce it, it's probably one of White Stripes' more in- interesting albums compared to their more straightforward style that you get with their typical songs like uh, Seven Nation Army, Blue Orchid, Fell in Love with a Girl, etc. It's a tad more expansive. It's a bit different. Um, and I, I mean, I still really like it. I haven't listened to it in ages because when I go back to White Stripes, I tend to just lean on the singles. Um, but it's, it's definitely an interesting album, even if you're not a huge White Stripes fan, but probably more so if you are a White Stripes fan. Uh, so what do you guys think
0: I really enjoyed it um we talked during the week kind of a little bit about how uh, obviously Jack went off to have his own career and you can hear elements of for example he'd started the raconteurs just before this yeah and you can kind of hear a lot of raconteur style sounds in this um and I don't know it's, it is it's weird, definitely. It's fun. You can tell that it's just fun. Like, they just made songs that they just were like, fuck it. Like, when they have their little Gaelic moment in the middle. Well, they, yeah, there's the three songs, like, didn't they? If they had, what was yeah. it? Just like, there's, no, there's no explanation for it. They should have three back-to-back Gaelic-themed songs. One's called St. Andrew something. It's, it's yeah. It's some a
2: huge long title, St. Andrew. So.
0: Yeah, and it's, what, it is weird, but really fun. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, so this was out of the three albums. This is the only one that I'd not listened to before, and like, I think if it was one of those albums that I'd come across in like two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, I think I would have really, really enjoyed it then. Um, I'm I've never really got into the White Stripes all that much, so this one didn't ring with me as much. It was, yeah, it was okay. I probably wouldn't listen to it again out of choice um, but if someone put it on I wouldn't be like, oh, I'll turn this shit off I'm not listening to this anymore <laughs> um, I, One of the things I think that, that got me about it um, when your instrumentation is kind of limited and that you've got, you've got a guitar, you've got drums you've got vocals, and I know they added some other little bits here and there, Like I think there was an organ in there at one point Yeah, there the organ,
2: trumpets, bagpipes few yeah. other bits, yeah. but nothing this yeah. this is the most expansive Welsh um, White Stripes record, which says a lot about the White Stripes, I think.
1: Yeah, um, I just think like when when you have a limited instrumentation like available in terms of like a core, you know, you can always add the other stuff here and there. But like when your core is one guitar, drums, and vocals, it does kind of limit how much you can do. And I think that it got a little bit repetitive for me. It was, it was because at the start I was like, it was okay. I wasn't, you know, I was relatively impartial. And then I sort of maybe three or four songs in, I sort of dipped and was like, I'm not too sure. And then it picked me up again in the middle and then it dropped me again. And then right at the end, it picked me up again. It was a bit of a I can see that.
2: I think I've never full, I would never consider a white Stripes album to be perfect because they do like to make them 40, 50 minutes long. Which, like you said, when you're playing with such a limited um, sort of group of instruments, i.e., just the guitar and drums for the most part, it does, like you said, become repetitive. There's there's a reason their live sets are only like an hour long. So, and when they've got that many albums in their back and they're still doing hour long live sets, it says a lot about sort of the limitations that they give themselves. I think something that Jacob mentioned was that like Jack White's quite weird style and unique stuff. um, For listeners of the podcast, we said a lot about the Rivers Cuomo record being just a bit weird and a bit unique in how he writes and stuff. And I think this is one of those, like, it's definitely a White Stripes record, but, like, it does have those, sort of that bridge between that and his solo records, um, with him being a bit more weird. Songs are longer as well. So typically on White Stripes records, are only, like, two-and-a-half-minute-long songs, whereas on this, I think they come
0: in at, like, four or five minutes, some of them. Um, again, in retrospect... In retrospect, now I feel like you can kind of see the the incoming breakup of the band in this because, like, this is so like Jack dominated, Um, and also like like it's. I remember so when they broke up, I remember I literally was reading up more about it, and it was basically unofficially. But he's now since said Jack White said that it was kind of just because Meg lost any enthusiasm. Yeah, she she just done anything since she just. Yeah, Yeah, she didn't didn't care about the music they were making. Like, he would start, he would put together something and be like, that was sick. And she would just be like, yeah, like, nice. Good work, mate. (laughs) Like, and you can kind of hear that he just kind of took over the the creative side completely on this. And it was just like, I mean, it represents in, even like the title, do you know where where the title comes from? It's a Lancashire saying, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) from his wife, who was from Oldham is them white from Oldham, <laughs> Icky Thump.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think- what does,
0: it,
1: what does it mean?
2: Like, um, even it's like shock. It's just like, someone says something, oh, Icky Thump. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I like I
1: think,
2: that. Something that I think on the aesthetic side of things with White Stripes is that all their albums, apart from this one, are the main color scheme on their cover is red. And this one's not. There's like hardly any red in it at all. And I think that's something, again, from maybe the Jack White side of things, where it is a, mm. distant from their typical style. I mean, it is still a white-striped record. There's no... Like, you listen to... It, it still but, has the cool
0: colours as well. Like, if like were d- the, drawing
2: that comparison with Rivers, Rivers Cuomo in that you listen to it, you're like, it still sounds a bit like Weezer. This still sounds like white stripes. I mean, it is white stripes. It's not like it's a vastly different album. There's still... White Stripe songs. You've still got stuff like Bite Bone Broke or Little Cream Soda, which was one of the first songs they ever wrote. They just yeah. re recorded it and stuff, yeah. which are the typical, straightforward, slightly noisier garage rock style of a blues song. But um, yeah. I mean, it's still quite a raw record despite its expansiveness. There's not really like overly bombastic production on it or anything like that. It's still relatively straightforward in that sense.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I think I want to draw a bit. I know Jack just I mean we said that Meg kind of lost interest, but she can still drum, like she hits so hard. Like she doesn't hold back. She definitely still hits with her anger. I don't know whether it's because she gets annoyed seeing her ex-husband from the band or something. But (laughs) yeah, she yeah. uh, Yeah. but yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird album, I think, is quite a good way to describe it. I think like a lot of people know why she strikes from Seven Nation Army and probably would have never got in on Nicky Thump. Despite "Icky Thump" being their second biggest song on Spotify, I think it's, mm. I think it's
0: second or third. Yeah,
2: yeah. The, oh, yeah.
1: Um, I I did notice the uh, that it was the second biggest song on Spotify, but I did also notice that out of the top five songs, it is the only song from that album. Yeah, and,
0: and that's that that I, on I their think, top I think five. that might be recency bars a bit as well. I mean, well, to talk from a commercial basis, like you consider this only went gold in the UK and US, whereas both the others went platinum. So, get behind me, statement. and elephant. They're two kind of considered their, I guess, peak records. Both went platinum, I think, multiple times, and this only hit gold. So, you kind of see it in that. I think Icky Thump did quite well as a single itself. Like as you say, it was, it is the one like quite a well played song on Spotify as well. Um, weirdly, actually, the only reference this has in pop culture, which is something I started looking into for some reason, is Conquest which is actually a cover song, but Conquest, the start with the trumpets, before it goes like, Conquest, um, that featured in the interview. Do you remember that film that nearly got the whole world into a world oh, War? The North Korean thing.
1: Oh my yeah. God, yeah.
0: So we can, bl- we can blame Jack White for that as well. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Has he not suffered enough? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not too sure on this one. I think, yeah. um, is it- I think it's... You know, like I said, I think it's one of those. If I came up with it, if it fell into my lap, ended up on my iPod when I was, you know, sort of thirteen, fourteen, just starting to get into playing guitar. Like, I think it'd be one of those things I really, you know, really got into. But now it kind of seems like, especially with the, you know, the fact that I don't think that there's a bass guitar on the entire album. It's kind of like. A little bit like they didn't finish it. And I know that is like the, the the white stripes thing is, you know, like we are a two piece. We're raw, we're very you know, we don't polish it, this is you know, you get what we're playing. I think for me it was just a little bit too far into that. Like if they'd have done some more, you know, studio magic on there, pop to bass guitar on there, um, refine the guitar tone a little bit. Yeah. Some of the Some of the more like um, uh, avant-garde guitar solos in there, it kind of just came across as like a, I haven't fully written a solo yet, so I'm just going to improv it and take bits that I like and then pop a little bit here and there and
2: Yeah, no I, I get that I mean it's very um, with it being that slightly more experimental expansive, it definitely needed that bit extra. I think it's in that sort of middle ground with the song being four minutes long and when it is just two components it is that this isn't my favorite white stripes record. I should probably point out or picked it because it's probably the most interesting one. Um, and it's, it's one that's often forgotten. Like you said, Jack between like get behind me self-titled. You've got elephant. Something like that. So I think there are songs on this, which I really like, which are aren't typical of white stripe songs, like catch blues and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, it's, it can be a bit of a slog to listen to, especially if you're not in the mood for it.
1: Yeah. The more bluesy ones I did really enjoy, like the, you know, the blues elements of the album was really good. There was, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a song with a slide guitar in and I, think,
2: yeah, I do blues, have like, think right near the end.
1: Yeah. Slide guitar just has a direct line straight to my heart, but like, um, it was one of those, you know, the songs that I liked, I really did enjoy like a lot, but then sort of, the ones in between, the ones I did, I liked, that I didn't too get on with. It was yeah, I agree. It kind of made the whole album drag, especially when the songs that you might not like uh, is probably going to be the one that's like four and a half, five minutes long.
0: Yeah, exactly. I definitely yeah. found myself after like two listens, when I was on my third or fourth listen, I was waiting for the ones I liked, and I was kind of listening to ones being like, well, I just don't really like this. Like, I'm waiting for like, for example, as much as it's the Gaelic little section is fun. Like once you've heard it once, you are kind of like, okay, I get it. You you like going to Scotland? Yeah. It's like, a bitch, come on, it's silly and weird. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I think like, you know, there are when you start to do experimental music and you start to bring in completely off the wall, different sort of aspects. You really do need to put a lot of consideration into what you're going to do, where it's going to go. And sometimes I think it's just like, oh, there's no drums in this track, so I'm just going to pick up this little flute and just fuck about with it for four and yeah, a half minutes.
2: 100%. Yeah, it, it de- I think, like we've been saying a bit, it definitely feels a lot more like a self-indulgent solo record than an actual thought-about band record. I mean, like you said, it, we know it's the White Stripes style, but when you are in that sort of ground of trying to push, push it a little bit, you definitely need a lot more than what they're doing here um, going on. Um, and it's it does while it does still sound like a White Stripes record, it could have done a lot more to push push some boundaries. But then again, that would be a Jack White solo record by that point, which is probably why they stopped, I think. And then, like I yeah. said, why they ended up...
0: Well, they did have a, another album, supposedly, in the works. In, like, 2010, or I think it was, yeah, 2010, there was some rumours of a seventh album that they were supposedly working on. But then nothing really about it came after those rumours, and the next you they'd split, so kind of came to quite a weird ending really. I think by yeah. that point the Raconteurs had started to kind of accelerate. Yeah, yeah. And so it almost transitioned. I think in a lot of people's minds, that transition is almost like icky thump straight into that's it, they're done. He joins the ra- he like the racontours just explode. Yeah,
2: it's I but, think it's a very um just final album in the sense that it is definitely a band that's not the band they were at their peak, quite well, at their peak, so to speak. I think that's pretty much anything else to add. I think I've said pretty much everything I need to without Mm -hmm. going in too deep. All right, awesome. I guess we're going on to the final pick, uh, the big one. So, on to that.
1: I went for My Chemical Romance's uh, Black Parade. So, it was there, it was 2006 on Reprise Records, it was released. It was their third album. So, um, it was the one, it was just after Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, which really threw Mike M into like the mainstream, as it were. They went from, you know, you can tell by the step up in them and, you know, they got onto a major label and you can tell that there's a lot of money behind it because when you look at sort of like, one, the production, you know, they recorded with Rob Cavello, who's done five Green Day albums. He's done Goo Goo Dolls. And I think he did Led Zeppelin as well. Like he's, you know... He really is, like, the big boy yeah, when it comes to production.
2: Definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, and it, it does show, like, it's paid off because the production today, even though you consider, like, it was recorded in 2006 and we're now in 2020. And, you know, that recording setup that he probably had, you've more than likely, you know, we're recording this podcast on something more powerful. So it really shows you that he does have the ear for it and it sounds like it it shows off but um yeah it's um the thing that really got me about this album to start off with like the first thing was it was the the album that really got me into um rock music um you know everyone had their Eminem phase and i sort of just about got bored of all of that kind of thing um and my mate at school said you know, this new album's come out. I've listened to it. Do you want to borrow it? And I was like, I was in year six. So like that was, you know, it was a bit weird because i would never really borrowed an album with anyone before, but I took it home and like, I liked all the artwork. I liked all the consistency. I liked that there's a, like a photo of them on the back and they're all in the marching uniforms that the person on the front is wearing. Um, and then I listened to it and I was like, fuck me, this is, you know, this is, What music is about, and maybe it was just one of those like I was in the mood for it on the day. If maybe if I'd listened to it like five years later, I wouldn't understand it as much. But you know, I got my hands on this album maybe like a month after it was released, so I got it pretty much at the the right time.
2: Yeah, I could see it. I did, I mean, Um, my relationship's definitely very different with Black Friday, except Michael Grumps and that. I've only gone back years after they split up and stuff, um, very different,
1: yeah. So this band were like, they were like my first sort of obsession with a band. They were the first time I heard some music and gone like, this is, you know, exactly what I wanted to hear, like down to the note. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I I can definitely see that being, especially because it's, like you said, the big production, I think definitely would help in a sense like
0: that. Um, Yeah. Listening to this probably... I think I would have been year eight, year seven. Um, so it was a bit after it first came out, maybe a year or two. And I don't know, it was one of those albums that at that point, I'd already kind of gone through the whole American Idiot. Um, like that was probably the first album I bought on iTunes and kind of was starting to get into my kind of rock stuff. And this was a little bit, maybe of a, a step further into that. Um but like going back and listening to it again, and I felt almost felt that teenage angst again. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could just feel the, the kind of, I don't know, the feelings that I had back then that the, this album kind of speaks to quite well, which um, I don't know. It was quite, it was fun though, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but,
1: absolutely. I mean, this was, yeah, this was two years ago because American Idiot was like September 2004, and yeah, this was October yeah. 2006, I think. So, yeah. Um I think the thing that the the thing that really gets me about this album is that like you know one the branding is so strong but it's all the whole album is based on the um it's based on a whole story really? so like the, the album is a it's a rock opera and when you listen to it start to finish and you think about it you can really uh, like imagine this being like a show on Broadway you can imagine sort of like all the imagery that's in like the the music videos you can imagine that on a stage and you know there's characters in there you don't really realize there's characters but um there's you know the story is centric of this guy called the patient um Mm -hmm. literally known as the patient and he's like a 30 year old guy who's um effectively the the whole thing is his um his process of dying yeah. Um you know and then he's got there's um I don't know how familiar you are with the Black Parade video like the welcome to the Black Parade because all the characters are in there. So the guy who's on the hospital bed is obviously the patient. Yeah. Then there's the two twins that um I think they put a medal on him kiss him on the cheek then walk away. Those two they're called fear and regret which sort of speak for themselves and then there's the lady in the dress with the gas mask on. Um, and she's called Mother War and she sort of represents the relationship the guy had with his mum so really there's like so much thought out about this album and that's before you've even listened to it like you know they had this whole concept and I think when you've got a concept like that and you know what you're gonna do you know they sort of emulated the um Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band they took a lot of influence from The Wall by Pink Floyd and then Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the David Bowie album.
2: Yeah, definitely with these sort of concept um, and the imagery and stuff. I think. It's...
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I've got have written down the um, the sort of track by track story, so I'll run you through that quickly, and then like I think it does kind of fall into place. But um, the first song, "The End," which is you know, um, that's the that's the point where the patient is told that he's going to die. So that's sort of like that bit is where he's being given the news and then the second song Dead is his his reaction to it and like they put into the music that they think he thinks that the world is like mocking him like how have you heard that you're going to die like you know if you listen to the guitar solo part of the guitar solo is woody woodpecker's laugh like everything wow. is mocking him and you never even noticed it I I'm, didn't notice it
2: to it, sort of it's like when you hear like someone mentions a sample in a song and then you go back and listen to it sort of thing and you kind of pick it up there
1: yeah for sure you know, um, and then it moves on to This Is How I Disappear, which is, um, is like, you know, he hasn't got a very good relationship with his mum. His, you know, long lost love, as it were, isn't there. He's literally going to spend his last two months on his own. He's just going to, like, disappear. Um the fourth song the sharpest lives is really that sort of like fuck it i'm going to die what is the point like i'm just going to get absolutely off my chops at this point you know just, i'm not really worried about doing something that's going to be harmful to my body yeah you know i've not i've not got the long term to have the long term effects which is not really the right idea but you know um <laughs> if <laughs> if you're going to die you sort of just might just do that but um and then The fifth one Welcome to the Black Parade really is like the centerpiece of the album it really encapsulates everything Um, and it brings the story in so the idea is like what happens after you die and um, it's like the idea was that uh, death will come for you in your own way so this person's like fondest memory was going to see this marching band in a city with his dad so um, the black parade comes for him instead of like the grim oh, reaper with this yeah, yeah um
2: symbolism on it's very very good i think like to how they've done it through from, yeah the, absolutely through, the, cells, the back to these like you said the songs itself
1: yeah um you know and that's like that's only like half of it you've, you've got into the main story of it now so then you sort of go through the motions so then you've got um Uh, you've got I don't love you which is like dwelling on the relationship you know should he have tried harder to keep it should he you know should it have ended the way it did Um, and then you get House of Wolves which is like you know that's super chaotic like percussion you can kind of imagine Jim Carrey on a stage with loads of like big band stuff going around you can see him spinning around on the spot going like ah what the fuck have I done like um, you know and then from there it moves on to Cancer, which is like the patient's reflection about having cancer, really. And that's like the, that kind of is the character's turning point, because then you get Mama that comes along, um, which is where the patient is trying to make amends with Mother War, his mother. Um, And that sort of, that song really instills the point um, that, it is impossible to get through life without sinning at any point. Because yeah, absolutely. like, you know, it is it, just the way it is. Like, "Mama, we all go to hell" is like the first line in it, and it's you know, everyone has gonna have committed one of these seven deadly sins just because it's so ingrained. Like, this is how, this is what happens. This is how this looks. This is what you're meant to do. Like, um, and then it's sort of. Then it's sleep, which is, I guess, the the final stages of it. Um, but then you could sort of argue that, like, sleep is one of those. He's changed his mind. He's sort of looking on his death in a positive way, and he's helping other people because, like, you know, it's that peer-to-peer. We're going through the same thing. Support that. You know, he might help. But like, really, this is the point where the patient just accepts that he's gonna die yeah. and welcomes it along um and then there's there's only three songs left or well four technically um there's teenagers which is like a representation on his childhood and how you know teenagers are like sort of sculpted to be the way they are and like i know that you know me when i was at school i was an absolute <laughs> menace and like it kind of got to a point where i just like had to be it, it was like that was my identity yeah so you you like it's it's one it's like a statement on you know society crafts teenagers into being these what they are and then vilifies them for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I There's think- also an anti-violence track as well. Yeah. Um Like gun violence in the US to try and like curb school shootings to some extent. I remember it was yeah. it's got a cover that even says like if you're thinking about violence, reach out or something.
1: Yeah, that that sounds about right. Um You know, it's it's sort of a weird place to have the song in the album, but like it works there and it is, you know, it's a good way to make a statement. Through, I mean, like American idiot Green Day's album was solely like a political statement. Yeah. More or less.
2: Yeah. I think this is quite a good one in terms of looking at Gerard Way's uh, as the primary songwriter. his view, like like you said, it's a concept album, but it's still definitely his relationship with death. I think like, like the way you've been going through it is all worries and, Issues that people have when they think about it as a concept. And I think while it yeah. is focusing on that story, I think, I mean, and I think just in general, to be able to have um, the confidence to write this sort of album in this sort of style and as a rock opera as a concept on your third album, being one of the biggest bands in the world, to then go and be the biggest band in the world, obviously, after this. Um, yeah. Is, is truly something else. Um, yeah, I'm going to hold my hands up straight away and just say that if I never properly listened to this and never acknowledged how good this album actually was
1: <laughs> no it's it was, you know i think it's one of those albums that if you it's a, a little bit like star wars like i only watched star wars within the last year or so for the first time and i was like ah, oh, i get it i understand it i know why people like this and I think this this could be one of this. it's a very similar thing, you know, if you've not listened no,
0: to I definitely didn't know the story until this time listening through. Um, and knowing the kind of, once you know of like, I guess, even just the concept of the patient and the kind of way in which the story is meant to work or just kind of the concept of it. Once you know that, it all kind of fills the gaps in for you. Um, which definitely was something that was, I mean, there was no way 13 year old me or however old I was, appreciated that like i think i just liked the whole idea of kind of like teenagers i definitely loved because it was like yeah i'm a teenager i don't give a fuck like (laughs) yeah
1: i think the thing that really grabbed me about teenagers like the first time i listened to it was like they said shit so many times like (laughs) like i was never you know obviously i i got this album or got a hold of it when i was like 11 so i'd never really been like exposed to profanity before So when it comes along, it's like you're saying shit like in the chorus. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. These guys must be so cool.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I think I think going back to it now, like the Michael Crowns have this stereotype of where they are, this angsty team band. And while you can kind of see it, there's so much, like we've been saying, there's so much more to this. Like I, I would never consider, like when uh, when they announced their comeback shows at Milton Keynes, I'd never even considered bothering to try and get tickets. I was just like, I'm not fussed. Never been fussed. But after listening to this album and knowing like I do like their singles, like I would be fully considered going just purely because of the quality of this like album just throughout, like beyond the singles of or the big ones anyway, of Black the uh, pretty much the title track and Teenagers, which are probably some of the most known rock songs ever written, I'd go
0: as far to say. Yeah. I'd also love to hear na 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 na
1: yeah that was that must be such a vibe live um talking about live when they when they released this album when they toured it they actually played the album cover to cover in order when they did the album live and the live set was like they wore the uniforms they had all the consistent branding and everything so
0: basically re-identified as the black parade from what i thought essentially two shows wasn't it almost in terms of how they did it
1: yeah so like i think it's another thing that sort of like really shows i i guess how refined and like matured the idea was was that it would have been so easy for it to be like you know Gerard Way is the patient he's the one dying everything's written from his point but they sort of they took secondary character roles and i think that really does help bring the story out
2: yeah yeah and really emphasize like the the key elements of each song as well I mean, the fact that we're drawing comparisons on this to the likes of Floyd and Bowie has, says so much about them. I mean, obviously now they're considered a generational band. That I'd goes far to say the last big cultural shift as a band. Um, yeah, like you have sort of you know Nirvana and stuff like that. But then I'd put My and in that bracket in terms of how much they influence culture. Like when if someone goes to anyone in the street and says emo, My and would be the first band they say, and that's yeah. I mean, I mean I, I I wouldn't consider this an emo album at all. It's in terms of the culture style it is, but in terms of musically it's not. It's more queen like anything. It's a rock album. It's a it's <laughs> but it's
1: yeah. it's
0: sensational. I I'd really like this. Um
1: Yeah. One thing I did I want
0: think... to talk about quickly was um in my literally just this morning, kind of after I'd listened again, um I listened to these albums a lot this week. Um yeah, so I decided to look at some of the commercial sites because I was a bit curious to see how big it really was. So it was number one in the UK and it knocked off America by Razorlight to get there. But it never, as an album, that was, sorry, that was the song, um, Welcome to the Black Parade, but the album never made it to number one in either the UK or the US. And if you can yeah. guess either of the albums it was stuck behind, I will give you £400. That's not, that's just not a great amount, but a lot of money.
2: I did actually look uh, at it, and I can't remember because I didn't pay much attention to it.
1: I reckon, I reckon it's it, they'd be one of those albums that became like a hit for like six months and then forgotten about. So like,
0: in the UK, it was Robbie Williams's Rude Box.
1: I mean, Robbie Williams <laughs> did have some bangers to right, be. Yeah, wait
0: till but... <laughs> you, you hear what it was in the US. If you think that the US Lady it was Gaga. second place to Hannah Montana. That's, <laughs> that's the us though isn't it? that's the us
1: yeah i think it's, it's worth noting as well that both of these albums went triple platinum in the uk and the us separately yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of these so ones how that, like, fucking is that, big this band was it's
2: the cultural impact where it's not like a surge it's a sl- it's a snowball yeah, effect whereas like with you and like someone gives you the cd someone like it's that style of thing where it builds up yeah. over time and it, it sort of grows um yeah. I honestly think, it
1: became like a like it was a youth phenomenon, like. I would probably go as far as to say it was like on the scale of Beatlemania.
2: Yeah, and the,
1: in terms of, and like and everything. You Nevada didn't just like, like the album, yeah. You it, couldn't it, just it, like the album. You were obsessed with it.
2: They, like, they were essentially okay. a boy band, but in a rock band form almost. Um, yeah. I think quickly before we finish up, uh, Owen is a guitarist. I kind of want to bring this one. I mean, I, I think he's quite an unsung hero of Michael Commons, but Ray Toro, because obviously you've got Frank Hiero doing his solo stuff. Yeah, Gerard Way obviously being the front man. But the guitars on this are fucking sensational. Like, they so so low. so well written. Like the, and the, the licks and stuff.
1: Yeah. It's so well written. And it's stuff you don't notice. You know, like I was saying about the Woody Woodpecker thing. I found that out last week. Because I was like, yeah. I watched this YouTube video and it was called something like The Black Parade Explained. And um, like I went through and did the tracks. Um, apart from I was, I think I was about two from finishing. But you know you can you can guess what happens he dies um <laughs> uh, um you know it it got explained like that and i was like how did you how did i not spot that i only found out that the guy on the cover was called pepe like two days ago you know there's so much to this album it's like bethesda made an album you know, like people are still discovering things yeah, in little Skyrim. easter
2: eggs and stuff like that yeah it's, yeah it's yeah it's it's tr- truly for what it's considered to be like as in a teenage album there's so much more going on in it that's. I th- there's some. I, I, don't, I don't want to use the term because it sounds quite um, dismissive of teenagers' music taste. But it's a lot. It's very. It's a very intellectual album in terms of how it's put together. Like for what people yeah. give it credit for. Um
1: it's, and definitely so what much I gave it. What it. I
2: gave it credit for. And what I gave Mark Ingram credit for before I fully dived in on it. So I want to hold my hands up and say, yeah. I'll, I, I definitely gave them a, a hard, an unnecessarily hard time. Um,
1: yeah. Um. I had something I was going to say and it's completely fallen out of my brain now. Oh yeah. Um, the thing like with the guitarist, you know, like Ray Toro being an unsung hero, I think the thing I really want to talk about is the drummer. I think his name was Rob Breyer or Bob Breyer, something along that lines. Um, he left the band after touring this album, like, and just, you know, I think as far as I'm aware, he makes signs now. He got some, <laughs> Got, I think I believe leave it was peak, like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Like, you know, you want to feel fucking sorry for someone release the band, release an album that makes you like the biggest band in the world and then get some kind of, you know, ailment that stops you playing drums and you have to give it up. And then yeah. by the time it comes to releasing Nana nah, or the danger days, um, you know, like you're almost forgotten.
2: But at least you have teenagers on your CV and stuff like that. So
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Like you know, that's he's got. He could just write out this song, this album track by track on his TV and just get any job. But, yeah. You know, I think he's because the drums on this album are so good as well. Like there are so many different styles of drumming.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah. This beyond what people and myself th- thought about it, this album does have a so much more. And honestly, if you've never properly listened to it, go and listen to it again because it is so much more than.
0: And now you too- know the context yeah, yeah.
1: like watch watch that video on youtube of um where they explain what each track means and you know do a re- read up about it and then listen to it afterwards and it's going to be like a whole new experience
2: yeah awesome yeah. i think that's it we'll crack onto the uh the uh doomsday part of the show oh yeah. my god All right, and now it's time for Judgment Day, where we decide which of the three albums we're saving this week and which songs from each album we're saving. Those, the songs we save will go into our playlist uh, on Spotify, which is called Songs to be Saved. Um, you can find that by either searching it or there's a link in our Instagram and Facebook bios, which will take you there as well. Um, so this week, we are actually having three songs being saved because of our lovely guest, Owen Hill. Uh, so you are getting a bonus track this week from each album to go into our playlist, so look forward to that one. Uh, I suppose we'll start, as we did, on the uh, on our little chat, with The Prodigy, Invaders Must Die. So let's start with, Jack brought this one in, so I'm, guessing I'm going to go to you first. Are you going to save this album?
0: Well, I am going to save this album. Um, yeah, I think we kind of covered it pretty well. Uh, what about yourself, Owen?
1: Uh yeah, this one this one's gonna be saved by me. I think like the fact that eleven was it two thousand and nine it was released wasn't it? So yeah. eleven years after its release, I can still listen to it, you know, cover to cover and think, you know, this is this is sick. So if I'm gonna be end up being locked in a nuclear bunker for like however many years, I think I could do that. Yeah. Also, when you
0: get out the other side to go on the concept when we get out the other side of the bunker. You're going to want to have this play in while you're dealing it's, with that. This there. is definitely a get popped yeah. album.
2: This is a huge get pumped album. I
0: mean, I, I listened album. to it when I was playing Halo. That could be where you're at at that point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think when I was thinking of this one, I was like, do I be controversial and suggest that I prefer Fat of the Land? But then, like we said, it's two generational albums. So there's no reason why we can't have Fat of the Land in at some point as well. So I think it's a full house on this one in terms of we're saving it. Uh, you, you can't. I don't think you can't not save it, um, despite the uh, critics' stupid response to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Then up up next, we are going into my choice, which is the White Stripes with "Icky Thump." Uh, bit of a mixed response on this one from us. So, Jack, what's your opinion? So, are you saving it?
0: Um. So, like I said, I really enjoyed listening to it. I don't think I want to save it because. I feel like I prefer other albums from them. And I also prefer Consolas and Lonely, that um, Raconteurs album. Yeah. I prefer that a lot more to this as well. As much as I enjoyed it, I just think if you're going to look at either Jack White material or White Stripes material, there is better stuff. So I'm going to say no, I'm afraid, Mr. Hayes. Unfortunately.
2: Um, Owen, I think you are probably the least um, positive on this one, so...
1: Yeah, I, it's not really going to come as a surprise where I say I'm not going to save it. Um, there were bits of it I did really enjoy. There are a few songs I really liked, but um, you know, listening to it as an album, it was sort of like I found myself coming into the bits where, like like Jack was saying, that like I was just waiting for the song that I like to come on. Nice. Uh, yeah.
2: I'm, I'm probably in the same sort of boat. I think this is a very interesting album. If you like The White Stripes, you're probably going to like this album. Um, if you like Jack White, Raconteurs, you might like this album. Um, but it's definitely uh, uh, something that you. Get. I just completely realised that I forgot to save the songs from the Prodigy, so uh, we'll quickly we'll quickly jump back to, <laughs> we'll quickly jump back to that one. Um, I'm going to put this down to Jack making us record earlier this, than we usually do, uh, and my my tiredness because I'm not used to waking up before midday during lockdown. So what you should have done
0: is loaded up Halo, started put, listening to Invaders My Star and had a Red Bull. Yeah, fine. it would,
2: it would get, get a monster energy like a
0: yeah, work every oh time.
2: All right, so uh, let's <laughs> let's do a quick rewind into the prodigy to see which songs we're going to save here. Um, so I suppose we'll go in the same order again. Jack, you picked
0: it. What's what's your uh, fave? I, I'm saving Warriors Dance. I think that is an unbelievably good song, and is even going back to it today was straight away as soon as like it came on, I was just yeah, I loved it. So I'm saving that. Solid Owen, which one are you going for?
1: It's it's a really close line between the title track "Invaders Must Die" and "Omen." Um, I think I'm going to go with "Invaders Must Die," though. Just the way it all comes in is like you can't help but you know just want to start moving to it.
2: And the ending of that—that this is our first um, clash in terms of choosing a favorite song because that's also was the song really uh, my pick. I think this is probably one of the harder ones to pick. I'm going to have to adjust it now. Um, I think I'm going to go for Stand Up purely because of that iconic sample. And it really, it's one of those, it's one of those, the more forgotten songs of the album. That was my backup. I, I thought know. you
0: were going to go with, um, what's it called? Run With The Wolves or whatever it's called. I was called. tempted with by uh, Run With The Wolves, Dave Dave Wolves. because Dave Grohl's yeah. drumming
2: on it. Is, yeah. um, but is he? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah um, he, he loves The Prodigy. So it's one yeah, of those little, on D- on D- Dave, Grohl, Dave Grohl is the village bike of the music industry. If there's a big album, he's yeah.
0: probably on it.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's just take he like,
0: a, a break from touring, and he literally just he emailed, um, the, the prodigy and just said, "What are you guys doing right now? I've got time to kill." And then he just went over and recorded the drums for it. It's pretty crazy.
1: That's so sick.
2: He just loves being about, yeah. doesn't he? He gets about. All right, now we now we're gonna after that little jump rewind, we'll, we'll jump back to the White Stripes. We're, we're doing a bit of a unique formula this week. Uh, so, yeah, you no, know, keeping everyone on their toes. Uh, so, we'll go back to uh, Icky Thump. Jack, which song are you saving? Seeing as we're not saving the album, um, which song are you saving?
0: I'm saving uh, Rag and Bone because I fucking love this song. I really like, when we me we had those absolutely songs? Absolutely
2: batshit. It's, it's, like,
0: <laughs> Stupid concept for a song. It's just the concept of someone like basically thrifting at local like car boot sales or something, <laughs> and you have all the little like dialogue between him. It's and pretty much. Man. It's just them talking. It's just them talking. Yeah, it's, and it's like, oh, I don't want it. We'll have it. You know, we can do something with it. It's like, how is that in a white stripe song? It's so good. I love it.
2: Awesome. I right, mean, which one are you going for?
1: Um, I think I'm going to say the one that had the slide guitar in it, which I think was Catch Hell Blues. Have I stolen your song again? (laughs) Fuck. Um,
2: No, no, stick with it. Stick with it. I've got backups. Don't worry. I've got backups. Okay. Cool.
1: Yeah. There's just something about slide guitars I liked, and that was like that was one of the songs that I was just waiting to come on when I listened to
2: it. I'm a a sucker for a slide guitar. Anything like just it just gets me straight away as well, and the way he does it as well works really well. Fuck's sake. Uh, So I'm going to go for I think I'm going to go for one of the more straightforward. Actually. You know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna go for the straight up, the uh the big one off it, the title track, the opener, icky thump. Um you've probably heard it if you've ever listened to the white stripes off of Spotify, but I think we need to stick it in like we do sometimes with the big singles. So I'll stick that one in. All right, now on to our final one. The big the biggen, the guest choice, my chemical romance, The Black Parade. So in this order we've been going, and I'll start with Jack. What do you reckon, Jack? He's saving it?
0: Uh, I think I'm saving it.
2: You bring, in, you bring in some eyeliner and some nail varnish with you when you do?
0: Um, yeah, and I'm just going to lock myself into my room for a kind of long period of time. And actually, I'm doing that right now anyway, so maybe but that's it, why I do it. It's not, it's not a phase, <laughs> is it? It's not a phase. <laughs> yeah. actually, this is like a very good lockdown album. Yeah. <laughs> this would be perfect in a bunker. Yeah. You don't just don't,
2: don't shower, don't talk to your parents. Just
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Throw your hair out long. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, this is just what I am life. guilty of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Owen, I uh, think people might be able to guess um, on this one as well.
1: Yeah, I, another like no surprise. I'm gonna save it. Um, it's like one of my top, probably my top album of all time. Um, the th- the thing that I like the most about it is that it, you know it does tell a story, and you can listen to the whole thing and enjoy it like watching a film.
2: Yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'm the same. Like I said, I was. Surprised by it. I don't I think it's a bit ignorant to say that I didn't expect it to be good considering how big they are, but I was never personally too keen on them when I tried before. But listening to this and actually diving in on it, like by the third listen, I was humming along to even the non zingles and stuff like that, and some of the choruses and whatnot. So, yeah, um, another full house on this one. So, we're saving the Black Parade. I guess it's time on to the songs and see if Owen steals my song again. Uh, I <laughs> mean, I'm just not- Owen, oh, go first
1: on this. I was going to say I'll go last because I could save any of those songs. For,
2: I have got a few from this one, so yeah. yeah I, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, if you want to go first, yeah, let's let Owen go first. Go on, go first. See if you pick. Um,
1: I'm going to say famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> have I done it again?
2: Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> <For> I
1: <fuck's> <laughs> <sake>.
2: <laughs> So like, um, oh, I'm going to show the camera, but you can't see. I have two in big in caps. And the bottom one, if you see the arrow go into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, all of those ones you had written down were amazing. Yeah, like, they're, they're, um, that's
2: that's my like. I do I have backups and stuff, but
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's for me. It's that it's that really big like symphonic end to the album. Like, it's, it's almost like the summary of the whole thing.
2: It's massive uh, as well. Like the riff on it is huge as well.
1: Yeah, there's you know, it's one of those like. Really rare songs that I don't think there's a note that's out of place, and there's only like four or five of those songs that I know. And you know, one of them's on this album, so great. Yeah, it's massive. That one.
2: All right, Jack, are you gonna pick my uh, other one that I liked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I did just see it, so he gave it away. But no, I'm not. Um, I'm gonna go for Teenagers because I just think that's a great song. Um, like we said, it doesn't typically fit in with the rest of the narrative of the album completely but i don't know it's the song that i think definitely when i think of a teenage album this is the song i think of obviously the title says it all but also just kind of think the semblance with it at the time as well like lots of people our generation will have heard that song and will associate that song with all sorts of situations when they were what 13 14 15 yeah early teening's just
2: Getting in that 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 sort of phase. All right, so I'm going to go for the other one I had in big caps, which is "This Is How I Disappear." So I'm kind of happy. Again, no, quite similar, just another big song, um, a song that I think caught me off guard. Singers only really knew the singles from my camera. romance was like, "Oh shit, this is fucking amazing!" So, uh, especially it being quite early on in the record as well. So, I'm gonna go for yeah. that one.
1: I want to give an honourable mention to um, the sharpest lives as well because that is such a huge chorus, and yeah, so it, like the way, it, yeah, this yeah, album, the like, way it ends with the guitar being detuned as well. It's just so clever. Like who thought of that?
2: Yeah, yeah like, like we've said, it's there's so much more going on in this album than just uh, the what, what a lot of people, myself included, would have given it credit for. Um, so it's definitely worth going back, and listening now, you know, the context of it and trying to dissect it a bit. And giving it giving it a few listens. Don't just listen to it on the front of what it is being my comic romance. Go into it a bit more. Um, yeah, so that's it for this week. Uh, I'll quickly run through what we're saving and what we're not saving and stuff. So we're saving The Prodigy, um, with Jack saving Warriors Dance. Owen stealing my pick and then choosing Invaders Must Die, and I <laughs> so I ended up choosing Stand Up. Uh, we are not saving The White Stripes, Icky Thump. Um, There are a couple of better White Stripes albums out there, but we still recommend you listen to it if you like that sort of thing. Uh, Jack saved the very odd Rag and Bone. Owen stole my pick again with Catch Hell Blues, (laughs) and I ended up picking up the lead single with Icky Thump. Um, And then finally, Michael McCroman's The Black Parade, uh, (laughs) where, again, we're saving it being one of the biggest albums of our generation and probably of the 21st century in terms of its impact. Jack went for the... The big One of the big ones off the album with teenagers, Owen, stole my pick again with famous last words. <laughs> um,
1: sorry, sorry. I'll buy you a pint when this is all done. And then I'll uh, so I, I ended them. up having
2: to settle for This Is How I Disappear. Um, I want to thank Owen for coming on uh, for his first and last appearance on the podcast. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you, for having me, man. He's, he's no, been,
2: you now. It's been great fun. Um, and yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll chat more down the line and who knows if we make it to an episode where Amos has kind of got over this grudge, you might be allowed back on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe. maybe, maybe I'll have to maybe. Write I'll have to let you know what ones I'm picking. Before yeah, me.
2: maybe I'll go first. Um, yeah. before, we, <laughs> before, we, before we, before we finish um, this, obviously this week we didn't have a listeners pick, uh, but next week it's back to business as usual.